kids. And it's, uh, it's really an encouragement when she posts those things. But uh, he's been a great blessing over the years to the church with all the wonderful music. We're in Romans chapter 11, 1 to 16 today. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 11, moving out of chapter 10 after the time we spent there and moving into chapter 11. And uh, I appreciate Justin. We, we had to scramble to change around all the music today. I appreciate his work last minute. I, I love the song Complete in Thee, and it really fits into uh, some of the message today uh, because it, it talks about being complete in the Lord, no work of mine, and um, thy blood hath pardoned bought, bought for me, and I am now complete in thee. And then the chorus, yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. You know, I think about that fact that we are justified today those of us that have accepted jesus christ and as our savior and but it ties in directly to what we're studying in romans chapter 11 today because what we're going to learn from israel and the jewish nation and their rejection of the savior their rejection of the gospel is why you and i today had the opportunity to receive the gospel and why you and i today have the opportunity to be saved and to be justified because of their rejection. The Lord took, again, it's amazing to me as you study the scripture how the Lord can take things and turn them around for his work. Like wicked Nebuchadnezzar, who the Lord said, I, I used him. <laughs> he was one of the wickedest kings that ever lived on this earth. And the Lord used him to accomplish his work. I mentioned the other week the Roman road system, the Romans who conquered everything at that time in Scripture, and yet their road system was the very road system that the gospel was taken to the known world at that time. And so God is always working, and even in the sins of men, God is able to take things and work them to his good. And that's what we're going to read about today. But in chapter 9, we remember Paul speaks of Israel's condition. The fact that they were privileged, but they were embracing unbelief. And then in chapter 10, we saw the state of their unbelief through their disobedience and their obstinance. If you remember uh, verse 21, it says, But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient <coughs> excuse me, and gainsaying people or obstinate people. The Lord speaking, saying, All day long, all day. I have reached out my hands, waiting for you to come back to me. But you were in your unbelief, and you were in your obstinance. And that then takes us to chapter 11. <coughs> With these thoughts in mind, <coughs> Paul begins to address the future of Israel. And he says this. He says, I say then... Hath God cast away his people? Now, remember Paul here. We're dealing with Paul. So exciting because Paul always asks these, these questions because he knows what people are going to say. He says, you know, what are they going to say? Has God cast away his people? But then Paul always gives the answer. He asks the question that he knows is on people's hearts and minds, and then he gives the answer. So notice what he says. He says, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. No God hasn't cast away his people. No God hasn't cast away Israel. Now listen, Israel's on a shelf right now, no doubt. I mean, Israel rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Savior. They rejected the gospel. And so the gospel was taken to the Gentiles. We're going to see that later in this passage. But God is not done with Israel, praise the Lord. That is also why our scriptures teach us that God honors those who honor Israel. 
and those who don't honor Israel are cursed. Listen, folks, I'm not going to get political this morning, but listen, we need to be a nation that is a friend to Israel. Because if we are not, God has said in his word, we will be cursed. We will be cursed. But Paul answers the question, but then not only does he answer the question, not only does he say, God forbid, and he just could have moved on, but he doesn't. What he does is he then breaks down four pieces of evidence to show that this is not the end, that God is not done with Israel, that God is still going to have a remnant that he, he preserves along the way. How do we know that's true? Well, you can go all the way to the book of Revelation, and in the end times, there are what? 144,000 witnesses from where? Israel, Jews, 12,000 from each tribe that are going to be witnesses on earth for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's at the very end of time, folks. So God is preserving a group that is going to be used. But Paul breaks into these evidences, and let's start. Paul uses himself, first of all. Notice what he says. He says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, listen, I'm a perfect example that God can still use somebody out of the Jewish nation because God is using me right now to do what? Spread the gospel, something just a little time before Paul was persecuting people for. Now he is spreading it. And so Paul says, I am a living example. Look at me. I am a testimony to the fact that God is still using Jewish people today. That's what Paul's saying. He was of the seed of Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. That's personal evidence. Seeking evidence of God's work, Paul looked to his own life first. Now, folks, I think there's something there for us. We want, we want to see God at work. Where ought we be looking? We ought to be looking in our own life. Listen, we each ought to have a testimony of God at work in our life. And if you sit here today and say, I can't think of anything God's ever done in my life, well, boy, I, can't, I don't know how to help you other than you better get a clue. Because God has blessed each one of us immensely. Listen, if you're saved and going to heaven, that's enough work that God did in your life. He doesn't even owe us that. But if we're saved and going to heaven, we'd be, we've been blessed beyond measure with what God has done in our life. But even beyond that, how God blesses us each and every day. How many times do we, I, I, this just happened to me last week, I, I, I don't even remember where the accident was, but how many times do we get delayed 5, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then right the road we're driving on, there's a huge accident right on it. I was just on a road the other day, I don't even remember what road I was on, and, and there, there was almost a head-on collision. I mean, it was a huge Suburban and a big SUV, and I mean, they, were, they had almost hit head-on, and I mean, they were destroyed. It was a violent impact. And I came upon that accident literally just a couple minutes after it happened. And you think, Lord, could, I, could that have been me in that? You know, a minute earlier, two minutes earlier, I might have been sitting at that same intersection. And, and, and so we, we have to understand, listen, when, when, we, when we are looking for evidence of what God is doing, there ought to be personal evidence in our life that I can point to and say, look what the Lord has done for me. We ought to have a testimony that way. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul was not bragging. Paul was saying, look, and if, look if you're looking for a testimony, here I am. I'm a testimony of what God can do. 
And listen, each one of us should have that same testimony. Here was my life, then here was God, and here's my life now, and it's different. It's different. I'm a different man. I'm a different woman because I met Jesus somewhere along the way. And that's what Paul's saying. So he gives that testimony. He says, for I am, all, I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What yea, ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. So he goes on, he gives personal evidence, then he gives, then he gives theological evidence. He says, listen, God has not cast away those he's chosen. The ones that are going to come to a saving knowledge of him, he's not going to cast you away. And so, but then his next piece of evidence is the story of Elijah. Now with me, turn with me back to 1 Kings for just a minute. 1 Kings, because we've got to look at these two verses because they really help us understand what Paul's trying to say here about Elijah. 1 Kings and chapter 19. 1 Kings and chapter 19. Now chapter 19 comes just over the great victory with the prophets of Baal. So you would think Elijah would be rejoicing <laughs> at this point of his life. You would think Elijah would be so excited about the work of the Lord, so excited about what's going on. But that's not what we find in 1 Kings <laughs> in chapter 19. Look in verse 10. It says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What was Elijah saying? He said, listen, Lord, I did all these things for you, and I'm the only one left in all of Israel. That's what he was saying. That's what he felt. He felt like he was the only one left that served God. That's what Elijah felt like. Now slip over just eight verses to verse 18. God says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God said, Elijah, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone, Elijah. There's 7,000 other people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. What is that, folks? That's what we call a remnant. A remnant. See, Israel may be on the, on the back burner right now, folks, but there is a remnant that God has to himself all through the history of time that is going to be there all the way at the end of time as we know it. There is going to be a remnant from Israel. And Elijah thought he was alone, and God said, No, no, Elijah, there's 7,000 others. That had to be an encouragement after he thought he was alone, that there were 7,000 others besides him. But he doesn't stop there. So let's go back into, our, 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 back into chapter 11 of Romans. And so he, he gives the personal evidence, the theological evidence that God's not going to leave those he's chosen, the biblical evidence of Elijah and the story there. And then we go to the current evidence for today. Notice what he says in verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, 
there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So what is, what is Paul saying? He is saying all down through history to now I'm writing in the New Testament time, Paul says there has always been a remnant and there always will be. That's what he's saying. Acts chapter 21 in verse 20, notice what it says in Acts 21 and verse 20, it says this. It says, And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. He said thousands of Jews which what? Believe. Now, we studied you know, the Gospels, and we see that the Jews as a nation rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Gospel. They rejected the Savior. But through that time frame, that same very time frame, there were thousands that didn't reject, that still believed, even though the religious pressure of the day was not to believe. They still believed, thousands of them. And so that's what, that's what, that's what this says. He says, and, and if by grace, verse 6, then it is, is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So Paul goes back, right back to where you spent so much time in the book of Romans saying, listen, you're saved not by your works. You're not saved because you're a Jew. You're not saved because you worked hard. You're not saved because you tried to keep the law. He says you're saved, how? By grace. And he says if it's not by grace, then it's by work. And grace is not needed. But if it's not by work, then grace is needed. It's not work then. So he, he's saying you, you've got, it's one way or the other. You can't have it both ways. You're not saved by grace and saved by works. And Paul has spent 11 chapters already telling us it's not the works part. So why do we have so many religions in the world today that have been concocted by man that teach salvation by works? Ever make you think about that, folks? Why is that? Why is that? There are so many religions that are misleading people, deceiving people today, teaching a salvation based on works. I am so thankful that our salvation is not based on works. I'm glad it's I'm glad my salvation is not based on my works. I can tell you that, folks, because I know who I am. And I know the mistakes I have. I know my failings. My family probably does too. <laughs> but you know what? But the Lord does as well. Right? I'm glad it's not based on my works. I'm glad it's based on His grace for me. And that's what Paul's saying. But he's trying to show here that there's a principle here that yes, Israel is currently on the shelf because of her unbelief as a nation, but God is preserving and working a group that is going to be a remnant that's going to be seen all the way through the time of history. That takes us to point two today, Israel's failure in righteousness. So what it says in verse 7, it says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, there were those that were saved in Israel... But many were blinded. The word blinded there literally means hardened or calloused. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the gospel was presented to Israel. And many, remember thousands, believed. 
But there were many who were blinded because they hardened their heart or were calloused. See, folks, we've got to understand, when, when, when God leaves somebody to their sin, it's not because he didn't grant them the opportunity to be saved. It's because they, in the hardness of their heart and their callousness, rejected the free gift of salvation. We have far too many people trying to tell us today that, that well, those people just never had the chance to have the gift. That's not the case. The case is they, they hardened their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the callousness of their heart, they rejected God. But there was a remnant in Israel. And then notice what it says over in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of, your, of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of what? The blindness of their heart. What's, what, what's Paul saying? If he, he's saying, listen, don't walk like the world because the world is walking around in blindness. Listen, folks, <laughs> our world is walking in a lot of blindness today. Well, a lot of blind- I mean, it, it, it is scary. It is scary how little truth actually exists in society today. People are walking around in blindness because of their own ignorance. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that there is a remnant that were saved, but the rest were blinded because they chose to be blinded. They chose to remain ignorant. They buried their head in the sand and didn't want to hear the gospel message. That's basically what happened. And then he goes on into verse into verse eight or verse seven, excuse me. The um, continue on in verse seven. What then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh after, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should see not, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. The idea of slumber here, the word literally means it's bewilderment, which comes after being struck by an object. I don't know if you've ever been hit by something and basically, as we would say, knocked yourself silly. That's what the word is talking about. I can remember many years ago, I was down in Aquia Harbor and I was mowing uh, with my three-foot walk behind mower. And if you've ever been to Aquia Harbor, you know, they, they, that's a really... Does anybody here live in Aquia Harbor before I say this? That is the dumbest arranged community I've ever seen in my life. You build houses where you've got to go down driveways like this or up driveways like that. I mean, why? I don't understand. But anyway, so I'm mowing on, over, on an embankment, a concrete embankment, that starts out about 16 feet in the air and ends about 4 feet in the air. And I'm right on the edge, and I'm at about the 5-foot point. I'm almost to the end. And, and the grass was so long there, there was a huge hole that I didn't see. And that three-foot mower, which weighs 450 pounds, by the way, dipped into that hole so far that it flipped me over the wall and flipped that 450-pound mower over the wall after me. Now, I thank the Lord. Honestly, I do thank the Lord this day that the mower and I landed a couple feet apart from each other because I could have been easily killed if that mower had landed on me. But, folks, I was not silly. (laughs) I, I didn't know what had hit me. I, when I kind of kind of started thinking, I started thinking, 
am I hurt? I didn't even know. You know, I was like, am I hurt? And then I got up and I got blood, you know, running down my legs, blood running down my arm. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess I am hurt, you know. And uh, the mower's smoking everywhere because it's still running and oil spewing out of it. And fi- so finally I had enough sense to turn the key off and stop the mower, and then I could really evaluate what had happened. But, you know, it's that idea. It's the, it's the idea of the bewilderment, the sense of being knocked silly because... Because that's, that's the way I choose to do it. Because I, I choose not to recognize what God has given to us. They're falling into a mental stupor, insensible to the extent that they are not affected by the offer of salvation. See, folks, that's why, that's why people live in this world as if they're blinded to the gospel. Because they're, they're, they're walking around basically in senselessness, not recognizing that there's a free gift of salvation on the table, and all they have to do is accept the free gift. That's what God's saying through Paul here to the nation of Israel. Let's turn over to 2 Thessalonians just for a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If I get my hands to work right, we'll get there. Second Thessalonians chapter two today. Go. And starting in verse Second um, Thessalonians chapter two and starting in verse ten. Notice what it says. It says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of God, the, I'm sorry, the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So at what point are they calloused and blinded? Is it that he never had a chance to get saved? No, that's not the point. It's the point at which they have rejected God. They've had the opportunity, and they've rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ and so God allows them to go into strong delusion. He allows their minds to be blinded because they have rejected the gospel. Notice verse 9. <clears throat> and David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. The feeling of security as they sat at the feast table. Anytime you see the, a feast or a table or a banquet in the Bible, it's always a sign of, of, of having lots there, lots of food, lots of things to partake in. And, and David says, listen, it's, it's like they've come to the table, to the feast, expecting everything to come up roses, and the very table they came to becomes a snare, a trap, a stumbling block to them. That's what he's saying. And he says, let their eyes be darkened, And then he talks about the bent back. The bent back is a picture of carrying a heavy load or a picture of of fear or servitude. He said this is what's happened to Israel. He says they have have stumbled and and fallen and their eyes have become darkened. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So again, Paul asks another question. We ought to have just made a list of the questions Paul asks in the book of Romans. And the answers he gave. He says, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, have they stumbled to a point that they can't recover? Is it over for Israel? Is Israel done? 
That's what he's saying. And his response, as usual, God forbid. But here's the beautiful part, folks, for you and me today. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. He says, because of their rejection of the Savior, salvation came to the Gentiles. It benefited the Gentiles. But it's also in turn going to benefit the, the Jews because it, the Gentiles are saved. So what? The Jews would be envious of what they have. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful, folks? We, we got salvation out of the deal. And God's still going to use that, their rejection of Him, the fact that the the Gentiles got salvation, He's going to use that to make Israel jealous because of what the Gentiles got. That's what God's saying in this passage. It will end in the end, it will bring more Jews to salvation. That's what He's saying. It's, It's unbelievable. It says, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. In other words, it's going to come out better in the end for Israel because they're going to see what the Gentiles have and want it. I'm making them jealous with it is basically what he says. And and, and the Gentile responsibility is to make the Jew jealous by showing the attractiveness of the Christian walk. Realize that, folks? Listen. We ought to be showing the world around us the attractiveness of being a Christian. Now, folks, you can't do that if you never even acknowledge that you're a Christian. You can't do that if you bury your testimony. You can't do that if you never tell anybody else about Jesus Christ. You can't make the world around you recognize their need for a Savior if you never even let them know that you got saved. See, we have to be willing to put ourselves out there and say, listen, I am a Christian, and I am not ashamed to say it. And folks, I know we live in a day and time where it is harder to say that out loud because we are the group that is persecuted so much in society today. But we as Christians need to be bold. That's what Pastor Jim, when he was here, he talked about the verse, and it's a verse I've used many times through the years, where he looked for a man to stand in the gap He wanted somebody to proclaim his name, somebody to be doing what's right, and the Scripture says, but I found none. What a sad commentary, folks. When God looks at Crossroads Baptist Church and the people that are sitting in the pew today, does he say there are people that are gap standers, people that can stand in the gap for me today? Or would he look at us and say, I found none? God forbid. God forbid. I hope that's never the case with us. But Paul, in, in, in this part, part of this chapter here, he's linking together, almost, almost like a, a stop puts it in his commentary, it's like a three-link chain. So I, I like that illusion that, that Stott uses. He says, think of a three uh, chain that has three links in it. And the three links are these. Israel's fall brought salvation to the Gentiles. That's link number one. Link number two is the Gentile salvation makes Israel envious to help bring her back to God. And then link number three is Israel's fullness will be greater riches to the entire world. So it's like a three-link chain of what God is doing because of what? The disobedience of Israel way back here. 
but God's going to turn it around, and as he so often does, he's going to use it for good. He's going to use it for good. I'm glad, folks, that God can turn some of our mistakes around and use them for good. I am. I am. I'm glad of that. And then Acts records in the book of Acts at least four times where the Jews' rejection led to its offer and acceptance by the Gentiles. Let's just look at one passage, Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Acts 13 and verse 46. Notice what it says here. It says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it away, put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So Paul says, listen, it was right that you got the gospel first, but you rejected it. So we turned and went over to the Gentiles and preached it to the Gentiles. Paul spoke boldly because that's exactly what had happened. See, Philip states in his commentary, he says, the Jews did not want the gospel but they didn't want the Gentiles to have it either. Isn't that interesting? I thought, how, how, how similar is that today? You've got people in this world today that claim they don't believe in God at all, which should be the end of that discussion with them, but they don't want you to believe in God either. Isn't that interesting? Well, why is the atheist upset about God? He doesn't even supposedly believe in God. So if he doesn't believe in him, why is he so worked up about him? Why is he so worried that our, our currency says in God we trust? If you don't believe in God, what does it matter what our currency says on it? But see, he wants to reject God, but he wants you to reject him as well. Isn't it interesting? The things that play out in Scripture play out in our society today. The same exact issues that Paul was dealing with in the book of Romans, we are dealing with in society today. A rejection of the gospel. But note what Paul says next. He says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to, to emulation them which are, are my flesh, the Jews, and might save someone. Paul says, listen, I'm preaching this way because I'm hoping through my office as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm hoping that some of them will follow after my message and what? That I might save some of them. Paul says, I just want some Jews to get saved. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want my life to lead people to Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And that's what he's trying to do. And then notice what he says. He says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Wow. That's a powerful verse, folks. Paul says, listen, if the fact that they were cast away temporarily brings great things to the world, how much more when they come back to God, he says it's going to bring life from death. What a phenomenal idea. We've heard that in the scripture before, haven't we? The fact that when we die to self and when we die to sin, we are what? Alive in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says it's life from death. Go back to Romans 8, verse 10. Romans 8 and verse 10 says this. It says, and if Christ be in you, 
The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul says, listen, the Jews are set on a back burner right now because they rejected the Gospel. But God is keeping a remnant in every generation through the history of time until whenever Jesus Christ returns. And before He returns, there's going to be 144,000 witnesses out of, out of the Jewish nation that are going to testify on His behalf. That remnant is going to be there all the way through time. And because they rejected, the Gentiles got the Gospel as well, so it was great for us, it was prosperous for us, but it's going to turn around and be prosperous again for the nation of Israel. What a wonderful thought that Paul gives us in these verses. And we'll end with this today, verse 16. He says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump also is, ho- is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. What's Paul talking about here? He talks about the first fruits. What is he talking about? Paul's reference is to the first Christians that came out of the Jewish nation. He said, If the very first of them got saved and were holy, he's saying there's going to be more down the road that are going to follow after that are going to be holy. Not the nation as a whole. The nation as a whole rejected the Messiah. But there's always going to be a remnant because of the testimony of those that went on before. So folks, I ask you this today. 2021, is our testimony such that we're going to bring others along behind us? Do I live in such a way that others want to follow me to the Savior? Does my life in this world make people want to be a Christian? That's a real question we have to answer today, folks. Because the answer should be yes. The answer should be other people can look at my life and be led to the Savior. Not because I'm great, because the Savior's great. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, don't just follow me. Now, I mean, Paul could have said that. Paul was, you know, probably the greatest New Testament Christian that ever lived. He could have said, hey, follow me. That's not what he said. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And see, folks, that's what we should be screaming from the mountaintops today. Follow me. I'm following Christ. Follow me to salvation. I have the testimony. I can give it, just like Paul's personal testimony. Listen, I'm a Jew. He said, listen, I I can testify. God's at work. And that's what we need to be doing. This is an exciting chapter, and we we got more of it next week, but it's an exciting chapter when we recognize how Paul is so clearly not only showing the Jews of his time that they as a nation rejected the Messiah, but that God is not done with them. And folks, if you were a Jew at this time, I would think you would be excited because Paul's sitting there saying, God's not done yet. God's not done. It's going to all work to your betterment in the end, But in the meantime, it worked to the betterment of the Gentiles as well. And for that, folks, we all need to be thankful because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we've accepted it, then we're part of the future remnant of Christianity. And that all excites us today. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. 
as we come to the end of the service. Um, Alyssa, can you just uh, grab your flute real quick and play a quick verse or something for us in just a moment when we're ready? But I don't know how the Lord used this message today to speak to you, but um, folks, listen, there's so, there is so much in there. You know, Paul, Paul I just... I, I, I just, as, as I dig deeper into Romans, I sat, I sat at Heather and, Joe, Heather and Joe's wedding yesterday, and, I start, and I, we were seated at a table for the reception. I started a conversation with a man that was there, and, 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 and they're Christians, and they, they go to a church down, a Baptist church down in Alabama, and, and we, he was talking about what their church is teaching on right now. I was telling him, I'm teaching out of Romans, and, uh, and, and, and we were talking about the fact how, and he was saying the exact same things, things, same things I was, that it's so exciting to see how Paul addressed things so boldly asked so many questions, but then gave so many answers. He didn't leave people hanging. And uh, I appreciate that so much with the Apostle Paul in this book. And, uh, but there's so much here today, folks. But listen, do, we have, do I have that testimony? Is my testimony such that it would point others to Jesus or not? Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Alyssa just to play through a verse of a song. And... Uh, if you need to do business with God, listen, you can, you can sit right down, back down at your pew and pray. The altar's open if you want to speak to the Lord. But we're going to wait just a moment as uh, Alyssa plays this morning.